Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we just had, well, I say we, I really mean Kristen had this great interview from APOR with David Rothschild, and it was about non-probability sampling, which you may think is not exciting, but you have not heard it <laughs> because he is super, super engaging. I thought it was really, it, it was really great. I, I learned a lot. I was so grateful that he was willing to chat because, I mean, he, he was the one of the speakers at a, you know, a standing room only session. You know, the research that he's doing, whether it's with the Xbox or, you know, pr- predictive, you know, how do you use markets to predict things? I mean, he's doing such cool research that I was very, very, very grateful that he took a couple minutes to stand with me in a hallway that we thought was going to be a quiet hallway, and yet you can kind of hear people like going in and out of the men's room right by us. <laughs> so one thing I think we've now learned over the last week is that there are no quiet hallways. <laughs> no. Yeah. The theme of the show over the last week has been taping episodes in hotel hallways. Yes. But now we're back in the sample, so it sounds crystal clear as per usual. And then we'll have some more interviews coming in the next few weeks that Kristen did at APOR plus some others that we've been taping. So good stuff that folks should make sure they subscribe. And also we will be on the big listen as folks probably know there is a new subgenre or I guess new-ish subgenre of podcasts that are podcasts about podcasts. And we were on the podcast Junkies. There's also a sampler by the folks at Gimlet and uh, Lauren Ober, who is with WAMU, the local public radio station here in D.C., has a show. It's Sunday at 6 here in town. It's also a podcast that you can subscribe to, and you should subscribe because we're going to be in the season finale uh, this week, and it, along with Hardcore History, which is like a mega superstar podcast that like has a jillion listeners. I'm so excited. That It was a fun interview. I can't wait for you all to hear it. Yeah, it was totally fun. So what are the top lines? Uh, well, everybody hates 2016, and everybody hates all the candidates who are running. That hasn't changed, but the polls are showing a narrowing race, and we'll dig in a little bit more into what is driving the favorables and unfavorables as well the support for both of the candidates. Then there's a pollster fight. The folks at SurveyMonkey are in a duel with some academics. Uh, It's the Mayweather versus Pacquiao of political science. We'll dig into what the best way is to assess Latino support for Donald Trump. Then those crazy millennials, do they actually like living with mom and dad? How we got back to pre-World War II levels of people living in mom's basement. And finally, I feel like Drake's One Dance is obviously the song of the summer. But the polls disagree. We'll take a look at what people think the actual song of the summer is for 2016. 
So first is our poll of the week. NBC Wall Street Journal released uh, their poll this week. And I think all the outlets released their big polls, all the big media outlets in the past week. But they have a question about transgender bathrooms. It's been a big, contentious subject uh, in the last few months. We talked about it a little bit with Molly Murphy uh, from Anzalone List Grove. Um, so they did a poll that showed 40% of registered voters said that transgender folks should be able to use the restroom of the gender with which they identify. Uh, A third said they should be legally prevented from doing so. And another third roughly said they didn't have an opinion because it's, I guess, confusing. It's confusing for folks new. And a lot of folks feel like they don't really want to be or they don't want the government involved. So people didn't want the federal government getting involved in the North Carolina state law. Forty nine percent, about half said that. But they also feel that the state shouldn't be getting involved either. Thirty eight percent said state governments should not pass any legislation regarding transgender folks and bathrooms. So People didn't want any level of government getting involved, which I guess seems like a pretty reasonable reaction to the controversy that's been brewing. Yeah, this is one of those issues where I will be interested to see how public opinion changes over time. I mean, on issues of uh, gay rights, same-sex marriage, you know, there was a time not too long ago when public opinion was in one camp and it shifted pretty quickly into the other camp. Um, And this has been an issue that particularly since – you know, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, about was that a year or two ago, uh, has put the issue of uh, transgender rights on the map. Um, it'll be very interesting to see. You know, there are a lot of folks that I suspect give a don't know answer just because this is a, a newer issue in the national discussion. And so if it's something where you genuinely feel like you're conflicted or you maybe don't know that much about it, uh, I mean, it's it seems perfectly reasonable to me that someone would respond to that with an I don't know, I need to learn more. Right, right. Um, so something that people do feel very strongly about oh, yes. <laughs> is in 2016, um, there's been a lot of polling, a lot of polling controversy, a lot of polling hand-wringing over the last week. Um, and we'll just start briefly with what's been going on on the Democratic side, this continuing question of – is Sanders still being in the race? Does that hurt Clinton? Are Democrats fractured or is there, will they come together? Will Sanders voters support Clinton? And last week I said, I didn't really see data that really showed that this was a problem as much as people seem to be thinking that it is. And there's actually been a lot more polling since then. So CBS New York Times had quite a few questions and they've been tracking this. So you can really compare to how these these numbers have evolved. And one thing that I think is illustrative is looking at the Republican side versus the Democratic side. So it's probably no surprise that Republicans are far more likely to say that their party is divided. Um, I, I guess this is a voter. No, this is of Republicans. So Republican voters, 84 percent said that their party is divided in uh you know 2000 you know earlier in the cycle fewer said that you know 76% in uh 2011 for only 45% said their party was divided. So um so this is something that is you know really very unique to this cycle. On the democratic side the party is divided evenly as to whether or not the party is divided. So That's ironic. I know. <laughs> it's true. Well, it's still, you know, like a lot fewer people. So 48% say that they're divided. Of Democrats say that Democrats are divided. 50% say united. So that's basically an it even split. It feels like a Monty Python sketch. Like, <laughs> we're totally divided. No, we're not. We're unified. That does feel like a Monty Python sketch That's true. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Um, but it's actually slightly fewer say divided than actually said that in 2008. 56% of Democrats in the same 
CBS New York Times poll said that they were divided in 2008. Not a massive difference, but still less division than there was before. And um, Greg Sargent from the Plum Line, Washington Post, pointed out, and this bounced around, that uh, there are actually fewer um, Sanders voters who said that they would vote for Trump than Clinton voters said that they would vote for McCain in 2008. Not, again, not drastic differences, but as a way to compare, we can actually compare the data and it actually looks like there's slightly less division than there was in 2008. Let's even if we call it the same, um, you know, the result in 2008 was Democrats did eventually in November unify behind the nominee, um, even at the same time. And we're comparing kind of apples to apples in terms of the time in the year. I think the 2008 poll was April. So it's fairly similar. Um, we're in the same spot now. So if we're in that roughly the same spot, will Democrats come behind Clinton if she's a nominee? And I think the data, at least compared to 2008, suggests yes. Wasn't there some phenomenon back in 2008 of like women? Pumas. Pumas that's what the party unity, my... Tushy. As we say in my house. Yes. <laughs> Keeping it clean. Keep our iTunes clean, baby. Um, so, yes. And so, you know, and I guess they were all supposed to get, fall in love with Sarah Palin. And maybe there was a moment, but it didn't quite work out for reasons I'm sure most of our listeners can recall. And then Gallup has also weighed in on this point, too, whether they feel that – and CBS New York Times has a data point on this, but let's turn to Gallup. Do you feel the continuing campaign for the Democratic nomination is hurting the party or not hurting the party? Overwhelmingly, 70 percent say not hurting the party. And there's not that much of a difference between Clinton supporter, supporters and Sanders supporters. Um, you know, 74 percent of Clinton supporters say not hurting the party. 69 percent of Sanders supporters say not hurting the party. So – you know, I mean, I guess in some way it mirrors Republican establishment folks who've been worried about never Trump and will the party come together. And, you know, meanwhile, Republican electorate is saying, OK, you know, earlier than the establishment said, you know, OK, I may not be happy about this, but I'm, I'll get on board before the establishment maybe did. And maybe that's what's happening with Democrats. You know, it's not quite as much, not quite as, you know, histrionic and yeah. What's crazy, it, what's but. ironic is that we live in this moment when people generally say they hate the political parties and they think things are too partisan and they're too polarized, and yet, and yet, it seems like voters are privileging party unity more than. I mean, especially on the Republican side, the, our voters are more in favor of party unity than some of some of our party leaders. Of course, on the Republican side, you've seen. Prominent folks like Lindsey Graham, Rick Santorum, you know, folks that were not Trump fans have started to fall in line. Creates a very interesting dynamic. There's a big kerfluffle this morning. People thought, oh, is Paul Ryan about to endorse Trump? He then came out and said no. But it seems to me that there are a lot of Republican voters who are not as anti-Trump as, say, like the Bill Crystals of the world. Right, right. I mean, Lindsey Graham does kind of say it with like all the requisite caveats. Oh, yeah. I mean, like when he talked about, oh, I have to choose between Trump and Cruz. It's like choosing between <laughs> drinking like battery acid and Drano or whatever his like I mean, colorful shot is, or stabbed yeah. or something. <laughs> so sure, he's not happy about it. But like no one's – I mean, I think that there's – what will be very interesting to me and the big challenge that folks are going to have to deal with in some of these swing states is, OK, if Republican voters are coalescing behind Trump and you are running for Senate in – New Hampshire or Ohio 
or Indiana or Colorado, and all of a sudden you are kind of a hashtag never Trump Republican, are you actually helping yourself or hurting yourself? If you are coming out and saying like, no, I disavow the nominee. In one sense, if you believe that Trump will ultimately be sort of a, a bad mark on someone's permanent record politically, it makes sense to walk away. But if the Republican voters are saying like, look, I'm behind Trump, then are you are you picking a fight that could hurt you this time around? This right. is the tough calculation a lot of these guys are facing. Right. Guys or, and gals. or you decide, you know, all this stuff, none of this stuff matters. I need to do what I can to stop our country being taken over by somebody who traffics in racist and sexist and hateful. Well, there language. are some people who think that, too. That would be my <laughs> that would be my <laughs> unsolicited, probably partisan tinge advice. Now, you know, Gallup has actually some data on that this particular point. That where Trump's favorabilities among Republicans, they are worse, not surprisingly, than Romney's or McCain's or George W. Bush's. But he's still net favorable, two to one, roughly, uh, according to Gallup. But people aren't happy about his candidacy. So he is popular, albeit not overwhelmingly popular with Republicans. But among Republicans, they are divided on whether they're generally pleased with the selection of Trump as the nominee or do they wish someone else was the Republican nominee in there. They are divided, 48-50. If we were headed to a contested convention, that would be a very interesting data point. But we're not, so. You had your chance, Republican voters. <laughs> you guys, you had a shot. Wait a second. <laughs> this Who is voted our, for this guy? There is a no return policy at the Trump store. It is. It's done. Um, so, you know, in the polls that came out this week, so there is uh, of these big media polls, uh, one of the big media polls that came out, I think this was um, NBC Wall Street Journal, you know, they talked about the unfavorable ratings of these candidates with only 34 percent of voters having a positive opinion of Clinton, 54 percent saying they have a negative view. Trump, it's 58 percent have a negative view. And ABC Washington Post found basically the same thing. They found that both of the candidates had exactly the same 57 percent unfavorables. Now, what's crazy about that is for a long time, Trump has been the one with the strong unfavorables. Clinton has not had great favorables, but she's been better than Trump. And this is now multiple media polls that are coming out showing that gap has closed, that they are both disliked about the same amount. Um, and what I have been saying is that I think is going to be the deciding factor here, if all things stay equal for the next six months, which they won't. But if they did, is there are different reasons why these candidates are unfavorable, right? If you look at the, when they say, okay, who do you think is the best temperament to be president? Clinton wins that. If they say, who do you think is a change agent? Trump wins that. So not all unfavorability is created equal. I can dislike both candidates, but for very different reasons. And so maybe in the end, I pick someone I don't like, but they're a change agent. Or I pick someone I don't like, but hey, at least they're not going to, you know, nuke Mexico. Like, it'll be interesting to see how people sift through the the unfavorability. Right, right. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty dreary. And it was very consistent in all the polling. And so it was just the drumbeat of news on this topic every day. People were talking about this because there was a new poll showing this you know, I heard a, a pollster call them the nose holders, um, voters. Um, so hopefully this changes in some way because it's just kind of a dreary place for the electorate to be from now until November. But what it has also created is this conversation about polling in general. Like, what do we do with all these polls? Are there too many polls? Can we trust them? Are the, Can we believe them? Right. And 
obviously we return to these themes pretty <laughs> regularly here at the pollsters, Surprise. but, um, <laughs> but it's interesting the, the frame, right? So Vox had an article and as always, we link to all this stuff in the show notes, but they had an article where they talked to five different pollsters and sometimes they were duo pollster duos. And their question was, is Trump really ahead? Because some of the polls have shown Trump up a couple points. You know, let's just call them tied, basically. But, you know, is he really ahead? And this sense that there's this disbelief, like, is it really – is this really what it, it – surely something's wrong somewhere. Did somebody, like, press a wrong button somewhere when they were crunching the numbers? Because how can Trump be ahead? It must – it's kind of like – the thought that we all had in the beginning of Trump's surge in the Republican primary, like, well, he's not really ahead. This is just people are trolling us or they're going to forget about him or yeah, whatever. We've seen this movie before. Right. <laughs> no, believe the polls. I mean, it's like they are consistent in that Trump has been strong. I mean, that's, you know, this is not new uh, information. I mean, I was at a I was out at a party in Tacoma Park where, you know, where there are not a lot of Trump voters. And someone said, uh, so do you look at the polls as a professional? I mean, do you really think Trump can win? I'm like, yeah. Totally. And they, they were, I think, not hoping that they were not expecting that answer. Or they were a little sad to hear that that was the answer. I'm like, yes, we should all start freaking out. Exactly. But then other folks say we should not be freaking out because the polls have a heart, you know, they're a little, you know, it's too far out. They're a little volatile. There's too many online polls. How would you assess the various back and forths that have been happening this week? I think nobody should press the panic button six months out. But there are a million reasons why Democrats ought to have significant tailwinds right now. The changing demographics of America, the improving job approval for President Obama, the dramatic, uh, dramatically better performance of the Democratic brand versus the Republican brand. Uh, there are a thousand reasons why Hillary Clinton ought to be ahead. And the fact that she is not against Donald Trump by like a touchdown is pretty remarkable. Right. It, that's, it, it, that's pretty surprising. Um, and this is why you have, again, I think a lot of folks who are now reliving the same. And you don't think it's because Bernie Sanders came close in Kentucky? No. I I mean, I do think that, you know, maybe, there's some well, of there's she, some... she hasn't wrapped up her nomination yet. And so, yeah, sure. I mean, once she is the presumptive nominee and she doesn't have to keep it, like it, once once that if she if it, she becomes the presumptive nominee and she no longer has to continue focusing her efforts. But I mean, it's it's going to be June 7th. It's over anyways. Well, unless we go to a contested convention because of the superdelegates. Right. I, right. You know, hey, this this might not actually who would have thought y'all are going to have more interesting convention than we will. Well, <laughs> well, I guess. How do we define interesting? <laughs> Anyhow. Um, but but I, I, I also think there's some disbelief in polls like i confess for instance this week's abc washington post poll i'm now a contributor at abc so yay abc uh gary langer abc's director of polling ran into him at apor he is perhaps the most vocally opposed to some of these new internet-y methods of polling um but abc washington post's poll their subgroup of 18 to 29 year olds shows hillary clinton only winning that group by three points Hmm. And it's like, do I really believe that Donald Trump is doing better with young voters than any Republican candidate since, like, Ronald Reagan in 1984? Like, that that can't be true, right? For, like, it goes against 
every piece of data I've ever seen ever in the last eight years. Right. So I see things like that and I'm like, well, that can't possibly be true. And so then if you assume, okay, well, they talked to a wonky sample of 18 to 29-year-olds because they were just calling on phones and 18 to 29-year-olds would pick up the phone are weird. They live like, with their parents. They live we'll with just, their parents. We'll as we'll get to later. You know, I can I can walk myself through like a, a justification for why. Right. But then you're like the person in Tacoma poll. Park. Like, well, you don't really think that Trump can win. Right. I mean, there's some level like you have to you have to one, not over rev on any one poll, but also like pay attention because the polls are saying that the race is close. Yeah. Right I mean, so any one poll, if this if if Trump is really only down three against Hillary Clinton with young voters. We will see that in other polls. This could just be a funky outlier. And so then the other sort of debate is Trump's performance with Latinos, another population that's really hard to poll accurately because you have to poll in English and in Spanish. And it's another population that's harder to reach on landlines. You know, a lot of the same things that make it hard to poll young voters make it hard to poll Latinos. Um, And there's a big – I was – in reading through this, I was like – this is like a wrestling match between you have uh, Mark Blumenthal and John Cohen of SurveyMonkey, friends of the show, and you have Alan Abramowitz, a professor of political science at Emory, and Norm Ornstein, who has been studying politics and elections forever and ever and ever. And if you have not read It's Even Worse Than You Thought, which is his book, you should. It's incredible. <laughs> yep. I feel like I should just have it constantly on in the background so I could just keep – Keep it like right here in my head at all times. It's that good. <laughs> so there's there's a debate now about the, the it's again it's the it's the the are you a Trump denier right like is are, are you <laughs> you know the the argument of well this Survey Monkey poll that shows Trump surging is it a bunch of baloney or not and one of the core arguments that Abramowitz and Ornstein make is they look at the Survey Monkey poll that shows Trump doing about 28% with Latinos which is like kind of where Mitt Romney was and they sort of say like no way no way is that possible that's there's no way Trump's winning more than like 12% of Latinos just not possible and so there was a response from and it's reasonable in one respect that's a reasonable thing to consider because it is the survey was done in English only. So you are not getting folks who are more Spanish dominant, prefer their news and media in Spanish, although those folks are less likely to vote for a variety of reasons. But still, you you are not if the survey is in English, you you don't get them. Sure. And so that that is a, a deficiency in the poll. Right. To what extent does it justify flat-out Trump denierism <laughs> is, I think. And so Blumenthal and Cohen wrote a post that went up at Medium about a day or two ago. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but th- this line, I, like, highlighted it because I was like, this is the equivalent of, like, throwing a chair across the ring <laughs> in political <laughs> – Ornstein and Abramowitz fail the test of seriousness. I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> oh, them fighting words. But basically, they they, they – because Blumenthal and Cohen work for SurveyMonkey, which is online polling, it's a new methodology, you know, it winds up boiling down to uh, do, do you tr- what type of poll do you trust? Do you trust the newfangled stuff or do you trust the quote unquote gold standard? And so, you know, we talked about this last week. I'm sure we'll talk about this a million times between now and November. But, you know, they say getting reliable samples of voters is increasingly expensive and difficult. This means that even well-intentioned media organizations who want to do it right, they don't have the budget to always do it. Um, 
And so, you know, they say case in point, the latest New York Times survey published the same day as the Ornstein and Abramowitz column, which reported the results for white voters and African-Americans, but nothing at all about the preference of Hispanics. Perhaps the definition of gold standard polling needs an update. So it's, ooh, ooh snap. So anyhow, this is a, there's, there's a battle afoot right. about to what extent can we trust polls when you see a poll by SurveyMonkey, can you trust it or not? This debate will continue to rage. Right. I mean, the the another good quote and important lesson from uh, the Blumenthal and Cohen piece is it, it's not enough for Trump's opponents to wish him away. It's important for political professionals to explore why he's doing well, even if his rise is unfathomable. So um, what's behind it? Right. It's not simply like. Can this really be happening? To go back to the title of the Vox piece, like, is this really happening? Please tell me no. Please tell me five reasons why it's not happening. Um, it's it's wh- why is this? Like, if it's not happening, if let's say they're not tied, he's down five and the polls are wrong by some small amount. We still need to understand what's going on. So the other group that has played a pretty important role in elections in recent years is Asian-American voters. Um, If you go back and look at exit polls in like 1992, Asian-American voters that year broke actually very slightly for George H.W. Bush over Bill Clinton, um, but has been a group that has trended very significantly Democratic in the last 20 years to in the last election, actually, according to the exit polls, voting just as democratically as Latino voters. So a huge change in the last 20 years. Um, And there's a little bit of polling now about how Asian American registered voters think about Donald Trump versus Barack Obama and what this might mean uh, for our elections. Margie, what what did this one say? So not surprisingly, this poll showed that Trump is not doing very well here. Um, Clinton is more popular. Uh, Trump is very, very unfavorable. Um, And this mirrors, of course, party identification uh, with this group. And the other thing, too, is when you look at some of these uh, polls, just like we were talking about the uh, polling among Hispanics, this poll was done in English, but also in Cantonese, Mandarin, Korean, and Vietnamese, and it used landlines and cells. So for this community, and it's it's tough um, since there are a variety of different communities that make up this and different languages that make up the A. AIP, you know, AAPI community. And when you're doing a national poll with budgets already tight, it's tough for outlets to include all these different languages in order to have a fully representative sample. But if you are polling in California or suburban Maryland or suburban Virginia or New York, there are some key places where uh, the Asian community really can make a difference in a lot of races. And so in those places, it makes sense to think about the different languages that you're using, different modalities. How do you get people in a room? Do you, Or in Hawaii is another example. Do you separate your groups and your segments by different countries of origin? Just like a robust Latino survey will sometimes look at Mexico versus Cuban-Americans versus other Latin American countries of origin. So it's a similar situation here. Anyway, it's a pretty interesting poll, which we'll link to um, and uh, will, I'm sure, help uh, demonstrate the political significance of this group. So moving on from 2016, there's a lot of fun polling out about our favorite group, Millennial. Uh, First, we have a study out from Gallup about uh, how millennials think about marriage and kids. Uh, This is something I wrote about in the selfie vote where millennials are leading America and how Republicans can keep up. Um, about the, available where fine books about millennials are sold. Available where fine books about millennials are sold. Uh, so most millennials um, 
think about family in a very different way than their parents' or grandparents' generation. So you know the phrase, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in the baby carriage. Yeah, it doesn't apply for most millennials. Um, For most of them, for 34-year-olds, just over half are married. um, And of these, you know, the vast majority have children, um, but a substantial number who have never been married uh, and are well into their 30s also have children. Um, the kids are, are coming before marriage. Um, a lot of people are now, for millennials, sort of looking at marriage as the thing you do once you've got everything else figured out, which for a lot of millennials has not happened by the time they're 35, that they're still paying off student loans. Maybe they don't have a house yet. They're not where they want to be in their career. There was a great report done by um, – a guy named uh, Bradford Wilcox. He's a, a social scientist uh, at UVA's. They've got a center that studies like the marriage and family um, that found that millennials really think of marriage as a capstone achievement. It's not the thing you do at the beginning of adulthood. It's the thing you do like once everything else is figured out because you wouldn't want to do it until everything's figured out because then what if it doesn't work and you change and you become a different person and all that. Um And how do you have enough money to pay for a wedding and stuff? And so this is really showing that now when you have millennials sort of living in these multi-adult households, it's not necessarily that they're living with a spouse. They're living with roommates. They're living with a boyfriend or girlfriend. They're living with a partner. Um, It just – it looks – very, very, very different than it did for previous generations. But of course, the other adults they might be living with are their parents. Yes. So Pew had a study, and this was one of the more popular things that we ever put on our Facebook or Twitter feed. um, And that is this Pew study showing that now a plurality of Young adults, who they define 18 to 34 as well, they're the most common arrangement is living with your parents. <laughs> so um, that's new, right? So that's new. And I guess it's tied to the other trends that from the Gallup poll that um, if marriage is something that you do once you have everything figured out, then why not stay with your parents for a little bit longer, especially given the high cost of housing in some markets or given the high cost of college and and college debt and loans that that uh, folks take on, um, it's it, it can make a lot of sense. Um, it is it is interesting. I mean, it's it's funny because I think I've said this on the show before. I mean, you know, I want my daughter to like run a major corporation, but if my son could sort of sit on my lap forever and eat avocado, that would, that would be fine. <laughs> so like, I can kind of see this, but like, I don't actually want them to live with me when they're thirty five. <laughs> um, but I can, you know, I can see this trend. I can see, you know, I've heard people talk about it in groups where the older folks will come and and they'll be like. Oh, am I, you know, kids still love me? So, you know, there's some joy, but also lamenting this at the yeah, same time. Yeah. So, we, so back in 2012, I did work for a super PAC called Crossroads Generation. It was like the, you know, American Crossroads affiliated group that wanted to win young voters. We didn't have a big budget, but we did one ad and we'd put this ad together. Um, you know, early in the summer. And the whole premise of the ad was that you had a kid who was like – it was like a time lapse of a of a boy's bedroom. And it goes from like he's an infant and it's a nursery and it like, you know, rapidly goes, okay, now it's a toddler's room. Now it's a middle schooler's room. Oh, look, like the soccer trophy appears on the – you know, and then there's the posters that go up. And Is blah, this blah, like blah. the conservative version of the Julia 
well, but video. This, well, but so it, I mean, it goes really fast, and then it, it toward the end, you know, as the kid goes off to college, he puts an Obama poster up on the wall, and then like the room sits empty for four years while he's at college, and at the end of the ad, the kid comes home, takes the Obama poster down, and is like on the phone with his friend, being like, "Oh yeah, I'd move in with mom and dad." Um, and then of course, Paul Ryan in his speech at the convention had the line where he was like. Kids are, you know, falling asleep under the faded Obama poster or whatever. And so we were like, we had this ad in the can that we were going to save for September. But like, we got to drop our ad now. Oh, my God. That's so funny. We actually then got a call from the New York Times like that day. And they were like, "Uh, so you're a super PAC and you're not allowed to coordinate with the nominee. It's super illegal. And we were like, we didn't. We didn't. We swear. We have geniuses. We have proof that we did the ad in June. Please don't try to get us thrown in jail. Um, But. We thought that ad was speaking to young people, right? Like, oh, the economy sucks and you've got to move in with mom and dad. And when we looked at the data on who was clicking the ad and watching the ad and engaging with the ad, it was like 55 and up. <laughs> the, the, and then it was like the parents being like emotionally like grabbed by the like, oh, my God, the what, kid has to move back in with mom and dad. What, what can I click on to get this kid out of my, out of my basement? Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't. Can I click on this? We made this ad thinking like this ad is going to reach younger. Again, this is before I had done a lot of my research Fair on enough. younger voters. We were just sort of sort of just running with an idea. No, and uh, we learned that, no, it actually was not the millennials who were engaging with this ad, that it was like old people. Well, here's where it's really serious, and that's Europe. And so this is very much tied to – I mean, there's a part that's cultural, but there's probably also a part that's economic because if you look at the map of Europe and of the places where uh, young Europeans are most likely to live with their parents, it's the countries that struggle the most financially. So Southern and Eastern Europe as well as Spain and Portugal. So um, you know, Greece, Italy – Poland, Romania. I mean, these are these are countries where unemployment is high. Um, so it, it makes sense that folks would want to save money by staying with their parents. Um, in Macedonia, it's seventy three percent. Wow, I've heard that in places like Italy, though, it's also kind of cultural that like young men will like live at home with mom. For, yes, because like it's nice to have mom doing your laundry for that, as long as is humanly possible. There was a really fantastic segment on 60 Minutes. God, it must have been a zillion years ago. I still remember it. I think they were called memonies. There was like a term for them. And they showed this guy and he was a businessman. I mean, he was dressed for work like you and I are dressed for work right now. And he's like, what? <laughs> I like to live with my mom. <laughs> What's the problem? And so I don't know if now like <laughs> everyone's doing it for economic reasons. I, this, this infographic does not give us the answer to that. <laughs> well, last but not least, uh, so it is now – I feel like it's officially summer. I know Memorial Day is this weekend. Yep. Technically, the summer solstice is not for a little while, but it feels like summer outside. Spring is a lie in D.C., by the way. It always goes from like cold and rainy and unpredictable, and then boom, one day you walk outside and it's 88 degrees. And that day was yesterday. Yeah. So I I walked over here to Margie's office to tape this episode from my house, and it was only like a 10-minute walk. I was like, this is delightful. I love Margie's new office. But by the time I got here, I had polished off my iced coffee, and I was feeling the heat. Schwitzing. Were you feeling the burn? I was <laughs> feeling the burn. Um, but with the summer comes the song of the summer. Uh, so there is a new list out. Who did this poll? Billboard. Billboard is doing a poll to figure out what the song of the summer is. So every so- every summer there's like a song that gets big. In 2012, I believe 
unquestionably the song of the summer that year was Carly Rae Jepsen's Call Me Maybe. In 2013, I think there's a debate of whether the song of the summer was Blurred Lines or Daft Punk's Get Lucky. 2014, again, debatable. It could have been that song, that magic song by this band Magic called Rude or Iggy Azalea's I'm So Fancy. And then by 2015, I think Trap Queen definitely was the song of the summer. But there is there is debate now about what the song of the summer is for 2016. And I am not loving the options that Billboard has as a head right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who like 75% of these people are. <laughs> <laughs> like I know Beyonce, I know Justin Bieber. Um, You know, some of these names look familiar, but I wouldn't be able to pick if they walked in the sound booth right now. I'd be like, Oh, do I have a call? Like, I would have no idea who they were. So, like, <laughs> yeah, so the number, the, the number, the two songs that are, uh, I know we hate the phrase statistically tied, but I'm going to deploy it here. They're essentially tied is Fifth Harmony's Work From Home, which I think is a fairly mediocre song. Is that about working from home? I'm assuming not. Like, it's not about like, uh, <laughs> is it about like working from home, but like hooking up from home instead yeah. of going to the office? Okay, I'm still I still got it. Yeah, that's uh, that's the premise. And then Justin Bieber has a song called Company, which is not about business. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what if these were all songs about like productivity tips? <laughs> I will tell you. Uh, so Britney Spears work B, which I can't say the word because, again, our clean rating. Right. That is the best work ethic song on the planet. I will listen to that song any day that I'm not feeling productive because the lyrics are so simple. It's like. You want a Maserati? You better work. <laughs> like that's – it's just you want a hot body? You better work. Like she – you know, not messing around. She just lays it out there. Anyhow, I digress. So there there was a study – well, there are two studies that I think are relevant. First is a study that came out last summer that said once you turn 33 years old, you stop liking new music. Like science proved that once you hit 33, that's the year when your brain is like – I have heard all the music in my life I'm going to like. So musicians, you have – the clock is ticking to influence Kristen. I know. You got like eight months. <laughs> Get on it. You got eight months. But no, I think I might Send already be there. I, so I subscribed to Spotify a few uh, months ago after some shaming from the younger people around Echelon. Like, ew, you still buy songs on iTunes. That's so weird. <laughs> so I subscribed to Spotify and – well, first of all, Spotify's Discover Weekly playlist that's supposed to tell me every week what new songs it thinks I will like are like heinous. Like, I don't know what I did to screw up the algorithm, but like the songs it gives me are just terrible. Um, but so I tried listening to like the top picks playlist on my walk over here. And I've been listening to it for the last day or two to hear a lot of these songs. And I'm not really crazy about any of them, except this song by Drake called One Dance that right here, I think on this list, it's only 0.22% of people have chosen that as the song of the summer. So I'm a minority viewpoint in the extreme. But I also quibble with this list. So it includes things like the song called Cake by the Ocean, which is a lovely song that I was listening to over Christmas break. And I'm not super, super hip on this stuff. So if I was listening to the song in December, it is most definitely not the song of the summer. On the other hand, another study that came out, I remember Vox writing about it like a year or two ago said that the song of the summer rarely actually comes out in summer. That by the time you hit Memorial Day, you have probably already heard the song of the summer. That usually the song comes out like sometime in the spring and it takes like a month or two to build 
to be like top of the pop charts. Mm. Um, which so so maybe this Fifth Harmony song. I mean, I've been hearing it for a couple weeks. Maybe it fits. The definition. I just don't think it's that great a song. Well, maybe they should make – I know people like to, you know, complain about Love Actually, but maybe they should make some sort of remake or sequel. But instead of the Christmas song, they're trying to come up with a <laughs> summer song, the big summer song. Oh, I love Love Actually. We should – well, when Christmas rolls around, we need to see if there's any polling about that because I know that's hotly debated. Is Love Actually – I'll just I just check all my feminist cred at the door and just dive right into Love Actually is far and away the only the only Christmas movie that I'm like yes I'm watching it again everybody yeah buzz it, off it's it's fabulous <laughs> we also need to find out if there's polling about whether or not Die Hard is or is not a Christmas movie that's another hot topic but why are we talking about Christmas when it's Memorial Day? <laughs> uh, listeners, please tweet at us. We would love to know what you think the song of the summer ought to be. Um, and also, before we wrap up the show, I just want to thank everybody for writing reviews. This was something I discovered yesterday. I went like – I've been looking for Game of Thrones podcasts. Right. And so while I was trolling around my little podcast app, I was like, oh. We're followed by one now. How I, many – oh, what was that? Make a, Westeros Great Again? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's probably like 500. There is a character in the show that is extremely Trumpy. That's like brand new. He basically – with I won't spoil the episode. But he basically shows up in the most recent episode, challenges – a woman who wants to be the first female leader of, like, w- this kingdom and basically says, like, we haven't been great in a while. Everybody makes fun of us. It's time for us to build the biggest fleet imaginable and go and take on everyone. And I'm the guy to do it. And everybody's like, yeah. Can it's nothing Make sacred. the Iron Islands great again. And can't, I'm like, you oh can't just, like, God. nerd out on Sunday night without Trump getting, like, busting his way into your, your bedroom. It so was like, just – it was, like, it was too literal. It was TV. too close. Too close to home. <sighs> so, nonetheless. Um, but we had over 750 reviews of our podcast. Ratings. Ratings. We have 75 rate reviews and well, 750 ratings. Okay. Well, thank you for making that distinction. But I still think. But that's still pretty gosh, awesome. Gosh, 750. And they were like, they were good. They were really they good. They were huge. They were fantastic. People love us. And we ask people for them, <laughs> but we don't like uh, aggressively go, you know, twist people's arms. I think to I'm going to get more aggressive. Well, we can get more aggressive, but we haven't been because some people like, I mean, there's, it's frowned upon, but some people like pay for reviews or they do review and rating swaps uh, with people. There's all kinds of shenanigans that go on because if you, have, there's like a lot of excitement, then you get higher up in the iTunes Remember like stuff. a year ago when we figured out that there was like somebody from another podcast yes. who was like trying to push our ratings yes. down? Yes, and I got some of those reviews taken, taken off. But I'm glad we, uh, we're, we're play it, we play it clean. Yeah. But. If you have not written a review or this a rating, time. Yeah. go do it. That's right. We would love to know if you love us. That's right. Or if you don't. That's right. <laughs> so key findings. People want the government out of our, their bathrooms, which seems reasonable enough. Meanwhile, the 2016 race is the opposite of reasonable. But the polling is kind of consistent. So what is everyone freaking out about? I am going to freak out if my children are living with me when they're 35. <laughs> and how did Justin Bieber come up again in our podcast? I can't even blame Kristen. I blame the polls. You can't stop the Bieber. You can't. <laughs> you got to be a believer. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters. You can find us individually at, at Margie O'Meara and at Case Holtis Anderson. Online, we're at www.thepolsters.com, where we'll post our show notes with links to the things we've talked about today. And then you can follow us on Facebook, where we will post 
post links to the stuff we might be talking about in the upcoming week. And also, if you have not liked us on Facebook yet, please do so. I am going to be going out this weekend to try to find a little tripod. Like, I may have to go buy a selfie stick. Uh, I know. It's time. It's time to buy a selfie stick. because You should take uh, a picture, like, holding your book with the selfie stick. Well, so at at the book party that uh, Pete Snyder, uh, one of the seed investor in Echelon, he he graciously threw me a book party and had selfie sticks at the party. And that was my first time ever using Uh. one. Uh, But nonetheless, Facebook Live, in order to use it, I think we need to use a phone, a mobile device to tape us doing the show. So we can do our show kind of like live. If you don't want to just listen to the show, you can engage with us. So we're going to figure all this out. out. But if you don't like us on Facebook – then you're left out. That's right. So you may as well go and like us. That so you can be incentive. a part of the live show party. And it's free. It's totally free. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks. Bye.